opposite direction, but today I will pick back up in Romans chapter 12 as we continue our series, Birthmarks of a Believer. So we have been looking at specific things that we should see in our lives if in fact we are born again believers. And the fruit of most of these things comes from that transformation that takes place when you meet Jesus. The Bible doesn't describe or know anyone who claims to have an encounter with Christ who experiences the new birth and yet is not changed from the inside out. If you claim to be a believer and have never experienced that transformation and the transforming work that continues in your life, my friends, there is every bit of evidence to support the fact that you may not be saved. That you may in fact not be one of His if your life has not been changed and is not still changing. And so I want to read for our time of confession as I have been each week with this sermon verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 because everything we've been talking about hinges on that reality that we are born again, that our lives have been changed by the Spirit indwelling us, and our minds are continually being transformed by the Word of God. Amen? So let me read these verses again, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, and then we will take a moment to pray quietly before I lead us together. I beseech you, brethren, Berman, that I preach on just a single verse. We'll, we'll kind of tackle the next couple is more of a chunk of Scripture. But uh, today, I just want to look at verse 13. And so I'm just going to read that. I won't ask you to stand this morning. But I'm going to read verse 13, which will be our primary text today, where Paul says these words. Not, not a lot here to say, but a lot to unpack. So let me, let me read this to you. He says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Father, help us today again to apply these words to our life, Lord, to examine ourselves to see if this fruit is evident and to help us, Lord, to be mindful of the things that you call us to do, Lord, to pray that you would increase as I decrease and that everything we've done here today and continue to do will bring you glory and point our eyes off ourselves and, and fix them firmly on you. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I titled this message simply Generosity Today, and while we will we will certainly touch on the topic of financial generosity. Our generosity should extend well beyond just our bank accounts. There are ways to be generous. Uh, many times folks label it as your time, your talents, and your treasures. And so that's a good way to remember different aspects, different areas of our life where we can be generous. And I have to start out by saying, hasn't God been generous to us? Hasn't He been good to us in so many ways? I think that many times we just wake up and immediately forget that that in and of itself is a gift from God. The air that we're breathing, the ability to have health, if, if you are healthy this morning and could come to church, food, clothes on our back. I mean, there are so many things that I think we just fail to thank Him for that are gifts from Him. And yet there are as many things that, that He gives us spiritually speaking as well that are gifts from Him. Our salvation, our home in heaven, adoption into the family of God. He places us in the church where we can be around like-minded believers who are such a blessing to us. I mean, on and on and on is the generosity of God. And the amazing thing about that is He gives us those gifts. He extends that to us while we were yet sinners. While we were rebels. While we had hatred in our hearts towards God. While we cared nothing about Him. He lovingly pursued us. He gave His life on the cross for all of us before we ever knew Him. What a tremendous gift that the Lord Jesus Christ is to humanity. And it's my prayer today that you know Him, and if you know Him, 
you are grateful every moment of your life that He is a part of you, that He is your life, that He is what everything you do centers around. And if you don't know Him today personally, my prayer is that you will see just how good He has been to you and patient with you, merciful to you, giving you yet another opportunity to hear the Gospel and respond. God has been generous to us. And as a result, believers ought to be generous. There is a quote that I want to start out with by a guy named Murray Harris. He says this, All too often we regard stewardship simply as a matter of our giving to God. But this aspect is secondary, he says. He says, before we can give, we must possess. And before we possess, we must receive. Therefore, stewardship is in the first place receiving God's good and bounteous gifts. And once received, those gifts are not to be solely used for our own good. They must also be used for the benefit of others. And ultimately, for the glory of God, the giver. The steward needs an open hand to receive from God and then an active hand to give to God and to others. Open hands to receive, open hands to give to others. The problem lies in when we clench so tightly to the things of this world and we forget that everything we have received is from God. Everything is His We often get into debates about percentages and we try to nail it down to the penny of what we ought to give. And I'm not faulting you if you do that. But the idea is that it is all God's. It is all God's. We don't have to ration it out. He has more than enough that He lavishly gives us. And yet we sometimes hold on to things, especially things of this life, much too tightly. Randy Alcorn, you're probably familiar with that name. He wrote the popular book on heaven, which is a wonderful resource, but he's written other books. And one is called The Treasure Principle. This might surprise you. I've said this before, but maybe you've never heard me say it or heard Randy Alcorn say it. He says, and I quote, It is estimated that 15% of everything Jesus said in the Gospels relates to money or possessions. He said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. So Jesus has a lot to say on the topic, and I'll be honest with you, I think pastors often avoid this topic because it is somewhat uncomfortable, and I think that unfortunately a lot of these big televangelists and different people have shaped the minds of people, especially non-church people, to think that all the church cares about is your money, that we constantly want to get in your pocket, and that all that money primarily goes to the pastor so he can live a rich and lavish lifestyle, okay? I'm not rich, and I don't plan to be rich. And the money here, you can look at our financial reports. Everything is open and accessible. You can see what I make. I'll be happy to tell you what I make. And, uh, you know, I don't get, they don't take the offering and go take it and pour it in my truck. I can promise you that. So it's not how it works. But I know that that there has been many misconceptions made because there are, unfortunately, people out there that do take advantage of, of generous people and they do consume that and live lavish lifestyles which is not what the bible calls us to live like so as we kind of get into this text this morning as we kind of think about this topic i hope that you don't just say well here he goes he's just asking for money they want more money and yada yada that's not what this is about this is a sermon about our hearts this is a sermon about birthmarks of a believer this is a another area of our life a litmus test to see how our walk with jesus is Because again, the only reason we get puffed up about our money is because we 
think it's ours. And we want to hold on to that and control that so much that if anybody talks about it, they, we get upset about it. And so it's a good place to examine yourself and your walk. In Luke 16, there's a parable. It's often called the parable of the dishonest steward. And so you don't have to read that whole thing. I won't go there for, for sake of time to read the whole thing. But he basically is a shrewd businessman. And he does some financial gymnastics, if you will, with his manager's money. But I want you to hear these verses at the end of that parable because I think it's really important for us to, to think about this as we get into this message. In chapter 16 of Luke, verses 10 and 11, it says there that he that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If you have not been faithful in the un righteous wealth notice what he calls finances there if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust to you the true riches in other words jesus is saying for us especially in the times that we're in right now money is tight and money is important to us but in god's kingdom we're going to walk on streets of gold i mean that's how much he thinks of money it's going to be pavement right and so there is a difference in the economy of earth versus the economy of heaven. Your money won't matter in heaven. You don't need to purchase anything. It's already been purchased by the Lamb of God. You see? And so we, we have to understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if, if money and material things have such a grip on your life, or you are so stingy and greedy with money, if He can't even trust you with that, He's not going to give you more kingdom-minded things to do. In our mind, we flip that upside down and we say, well, you know, money, money really matters. But, and it does. But in the kingdom of God, if you're not even faithful with that, you're not going to get anything else to be faithful with. Pretty strong. We could spend more time on that, but I'll move on. But it's interesting the, the way that Jesus frames that parable. And so Paul says in verse 13, the first half of that verse that I read, he says to contribute. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Have you ever stopped and thought just how many needs there are around you? Like just in this church, how many needs are there? Sometimes it seems overwhelming because we often want to help everyone and we can't. But if everyone would help someone, we could do a lot. He says contribute to the needs. A lot of times people have wants. And you need to be able to differentiate the two. There are genuine needs. And I feel that us as believers and even as a church body as a whole, when there is a need, we ought to try our best to help in that area. But oftentimes people have wants. And we have to say, I would like to help here, but I don't know that that's a necessity at this time. And if we're not careful, we can have people, and, and you'll know this and you may have this, there are takers in life. And there's nothing wrong with setting boundaries with a taker. You have to do that. Because if you continue to give to a taker, you will never reach the end. Number one. And number two, especially, and, and this is a very difficult situation that I have found myself in, and I'm sure some of you have. If you've ever had to deal with an addict, it's heartbreaking. Especially if it's a family member. Because you want to help them. 
you want to see them free from this addiction. You want to see that sin broken off their life. But when they're in that bondage, they will do anything and say anything to get what they need. And they will use manipulation and even gaslight you if you put up a boundary and say no. They will turn you into the enemy and talk bad about you. And you have to be okay with that, church. You have to love them. You have to care for them. But there comes a point where you cross the line into enabling them. And that's a dangerous place for us to get to. We need to meet needs. But we have to be able to differentiate what a real need is. And we have to be okay with setting boundaries in our lives. You can love people and pray for people and genuinely care for people and yet still have those guardrails up in your life. I think a lot of folks struggle with that. I certainly do too. But it's important that you understand that. So Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. There's a word that I have heard ever since I got into church. And it's a word that you have heard, a word that we even used on our announcements, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. It's a wonderful thing when we fellowship with one another, isn't it? Now, when we talk about that word, what comes to your mind? Perhaps in a Baptist church, we're certainly going to say food, right? You can't fellowship without something to eat. And certainly, gathering around a table is how Jesus did it with His disciples. And there is something intimate about sitting down at a table, having a meal, and talking with friends and family. It's a special time. We do that at holidays. Hopefully you still can get together with friends and family uh, and have meals from time to time like that. But that's not primarily what the idea in Scripture is about. The word, and I don't want to over, overdo this thing with technical terms, but the word is koinoneo. And that's a Greek word that means fellowship. And the idea means to have something in common with one another and to share because of that commonality. Okay, so let me give you a couple of scriptures that use that exact same word, which is the word, by the way, that Paul uses for contribute. So we might not read that and say fellowship to the needs of the saints. That wouldn't make a lot of sense in the English. But in the Greek, they would understand what that term carries with it. A common bond that leads to generosity, that leads to sharing. Let me give you a couple of verses that use that word and it may make a little more sense. Galatians 6.6 6. Let the one who is taught the word share, koinoneo, all things with the one who teaches. So the idea is discipleship. If I, if I teach my friend Jamie back there, if I teach him things from the word of God, the idea as a believer is he is going to take the things that he has been taught and share them with other folks that need taught. And that's how disciples are made. We have a common bond in Christ. We are opening up the word and sharing with one another. And he is then taking that and fellowshipping, if you will, sharing with others who are like-minded. Acts 2.44 is another verse. It says there of the early church when 3,000 were saved and they started to meet together, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, the same Greek word. We don't see that in the English, but contribute, fellowship, share, having things in common. That's all the same word. And so Paul is saying, because of the common bond that we have in the church, because of who we are in Christ, we ought to share with those in need. We ought to be generous. We ought to want to help one another. Now again, we can't help everyone and we can't do everything. But our heart's desire, remember the Lord looks at the heart. 
How is your heart this morning when it comes to helping others? Are you hesitant? Are you selfish? Are you looking for those opportunities? Are you saying, God has been so good to me that I can't help but be good to others? That's the idea. It's a birthmark of a believer to be generous because Jesus has been so generous to us. That's the idea here. And so, when we think about generosity, I don't want you to say, man, pastor preached on it, so now i got to give some money in that offering plate. Now i got to help somebody. I don't want to do it. don't really care to do it, but by golly, he said something, and now I feel guilty if I don't do it. The idea of any message, we don't stand in the pulpit to guilt you. Guilt is a poor motivator. Because once the guilt wears off, you're going to go back to being who you were. When the Spirit of God changes your heart, you'll stay changed. You'll stay changed. So my, I, my, my goal each week is to preach and teach you plainly the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to sink into your heart. Allow the Spirit to convict you if that's necessary. To allow the Spirit to guide you, which is necessary. So ultimately, the way that you live out your life is not begrudgingly, but that it's done willingly and cheerfully. So how ought to our generosity look like? Well, I just used those words. It ought to be cheerful, and it ought to be willing. <clears throat> Let me give you some Scriptures to back that up. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Listen to what Paul says there. Each one must give. See that word there? See how he words it? Not optional. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. God gives liberty in giving. He doesn't come out with a list and say, well, you need to give this person this amount, that person that amount, church this amount. There is a freedom, a liberty with the gospel. The gospel allows us to live a grace-centered life. That's not an excuse to be as tight-fisted as we want to be. Because the idea is to give in an overflowing sense, and you'll see that in just a minute. Each one must give, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, not being guilted into this thing, for God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Here's a test question for you. In the Greek, would you happen to know what English word we get from the word cheerful there? I didn't think you would know this. Hilarious. The Greek word is hilarion. We get our English word hilarious. So literally that text could say, God loves a giver that is hilarious in His giving. Like He is so different from the world that it's laughable. That's the idea. Our generosity ought to look strange to the world because we are so liberal in the way that we help one another. That was one of the amazing things about the early church, guys. Their love was unlike anything that the world had ever seen. Now let's be honest. In the average church today, if you bring up the name of any church, is the first thing that the world says or thinks about that church is, man, the way that they love one another. It should be. It should be. If we're being a biblical church and biblical Christians, Jesus said, by our love, we shall be known as His disciples. If you ask someone about any local church, the, the hopeful response that you would get is, man, those people love. They love unlike anything I've ever seen. And that's the idea. 
we ought to love one another so much that we will do anything that is necessary to extend that love, whether it's being generous in our time, our talents, our treasures, caring for one another, checking on one another. In all of those things, we ought to extend our love and be generous, not just give the leftovers of any of that, our time, talent, or treasures. Often God just gets what's left over from us. And it shouldn't be that way. We should do it cheerfully. We should do it willingly. Also, we ought to do it faithfully. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, listen to what Paul says there. On the first day of every week, what's today? Sunday. That's just, this is what was going on, meeting on Sunday for church, all the way back in the New Testament. We're doing the same thing here today. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is in the idea of missions. Paul says, take up an offering because there are people that have needs and we want to be able to meet those needs when I come. That's all he's saying there. And you see, we, we support missions as a part of our giving from the church, but there are many other things that we try to support, many other things that we would like to support, whether it's the pregnancy center, for example. We want to support that. They are doing a great work. They are saving unborn lives. We want to get behind that. That's a biblical concept. Life begins at conception and we want to support that. The Open Hands Food Pantry. They're going out into the highways and hedges. They're sharing the gospel. They're feeding those in need. They're giving a cup of cold water in His name. That's biblical. We want to support things like that. That's where the church needs to invest its time, talents, and treasures. We need to invest in seeing the gospel being taken outside of these walls. We have to spend money in here to keep the lights on and to keep the building up and all that stuff. But the majority of our spending should not go to things like that. It should be going to furthering the gospel. It should be going to taking the word outside these walls or getting the word inside these walls and into your hearts more and more. That is ultimately what we want to do here at this church. And what I hope that you want to come alongside and say, yes, I believe in that cause. I believe in what this church is doing. And I want to support it in every way I can. Again, with your time and your talent and your treasures. Paul said that these folks needed to be consistent in their giving and they needed to plan for it. Oftentimes, we don't plan ahead on what we're going to give. We just say, oh, here comes that plate. You got any change or anything to throw in there? We should plan ahead because, again, it's all God's. And if we want to use the Old Testament principle of the first fruits, shouldn't God get the first and the best, not the last and the leftovers? Right? We plan for everything else. I think most of us have some idea of what our expenses are going to be each month. If you have a house payment, car payment, food, gas, utilities, I don't think you just take your money and throw it on the floor and say, well, grab whatever you want, and if there's enough left, we'll pay the bills. That wouldn't work very well, would it? But that's kind of how we do when it comes to giving. We just say, well, we'll do this and do that, and if there's anything left over, we'll, we might give it if we can. You know, and that's not what Paul's saying. We ought to plan for this. It ought to be a part of our walk of faith. He says in that verse also something interesting. He says that we should give as God has prospered us. Randy Alcorn, who I quoted earlier, he said this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Ouch. How many of us, every time we get a raise, go out and buy bigger toys? More stuff. And I've said this many times, and, and Americans are guilty of it. I've had to do it before. We have so much stuff that we have to go rent a storage facility because we can't fit all the stuff in our own garage. We've got to rent somebody else's garage so we can put all our stuff in it. And then we don't want to get rid of any of the stuff unless you have a wife like mine who loves to throw stuff away. 
And then, and then she throws away the things I need, so then I have to go buy the thing again because I've lost the thing, I, you know, and it's a, it's a never-ending cycle. But that's not how God expects us to be. Every time we get a little bit of a raise, we shouldn't always necessarily have to raise our standard of living. We ought to think about how we can help others because there's always needs all around this church, everywhere we look. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24 that no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Man. He just, I mean, you can't make it much cleaner and plainer than that, can you? You cannot serve God and money. There's a lot of people today trying to straddle that fence. There's a lot of people that's trying to live for the world Monday through Saturday and then on Sunday live for God. Can't do it. Jesus said it's impossible. You've got to make a choice. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, Joshua said. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have got to make a decision on who you're going to follow. You're either going to follow the world or you're going to follow Jesus. But they won't lead in the same direction. I can promise you that. They can't. So let me, let me kind of move on to some application with this. How do we grow in generosity? Like maybe you've heard this this morning. You're saying, you know what? This is an area where I could use some help. Like this is an area where I need to improve in my walk. I want to do better. I want to live obediently. I want my fruit to show forth. What do I need to do? How can I better myself there? I will say these things. I hope this is just godly counsel for you to take with you today and to practice going forward. Number one is this. You have got to guard your heart against greed. All of us, to some degree, have a propensity to be greedy. All of us like stuff. We do. All of us like money. Maybe some more than others, but all of us do to some degree. And if we're not careful, we can really become greedy. You have got to, as with anything spiritually speaking, any kind of spiritual warfare, you've got to guard your heart against this. Because it doesn't just happen. It happens slowly and methodically. The enemy keeps slowly putting in front of you those temptations over and over until eventually he gets you. He gets you ensnared. He gets you trapped. Guard your heart against greed. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. It says there, Then He said to them, Watch out. So He's getting our attention. Watch out. Be aware of this. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If Jesus was that forceful to say, Watch out for this, we should take Him Take those words to heart. He's telling us to be careful about that. In Colossians 3.5, listen to what the Apostle Paul says there. Put to death. So he's speaking to believers. And he's telling us what we need to do every day. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, the flesh, the world, whatever, whatever was part of your old life, he says that's got to die every day. You've got to get up and put it to death. He says sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and listen to what the last one is, and greed, which is idolatry. Man, how much does the Bible have to say about idolatry? And we often have ideas in our mind like Israel at Mount Sinai with the golden calf and they made an idol and they're worshiping, and that is idolatry. But there are other types of idolatry, guys. You don't have to make an image and worship it Many of us have idols right in here. John Calvin said the heart is an idol factory. And we're constantly producing other things to worship. We are constantly turning our hearts and our eyes away from God to worship other things. What is consuming your time, your talents, and your treasures? 
That is your God. What are you focused most on? That'll give you a good litmus test of where your heart really is. Not only should we guard our hearts against greed, but this is another one that's very difficult for us because we are so blessed. We have so much. And marketing and media people know that the way they get you to keep buying more stuff is to bombard you with new products all the time. A new phone every three months. You buy a vehicle, three months later they got a better vehicle. Buy a computer, it's obsolete in three months. On and on and on. It never ends. And they get us to buy into the fact that we've got to keep up with the Joneses. We've got to have the newest stuff. We've got to have the new phone. We've got to have the better camera. We've got to have on and on and on and on. But here's number two. Learn contentment. Learn contentment. Be happy with what you have. Be thankful for what you have. Remember earlier I said there's a difference between needs and wants. You may want a new cell phone every three months. You may want a new vehicle every two years. But do you need that? No, you don't. That old phone will work until it blows up and you have to get one. The old truck or car will get you back and forth just like the new one will. Right? We just have to learn sometimes to be content. Hebrews 3.5 says, 13.5, I'm sorry, says this. Keep your life free from the love of money. Man, that's good advice right there. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What He's saying there is, if we have Jesus who is always with us, we have all we need. That's what He's saying. We quote that verse, I will never leave or forsake you. But we don't quote the first half of it. And the idea is, that we keep ourselves free from the love of money. Why does he use money in that example? Because money will pull you away from God. Money will pull you away from God. I have used this illustration so many times over the years, and I have found it to be true more and more. I've had so many people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I have an opportunity at work to get a big promotion and move up the corporate ladder. And I'm happy when that happens. I am. I think it's wonderful. And I'm not saying this morning that you should never take a promotion, that you should never look to better yourself. But I will say this, just about every one of those times that I can remember where that person took that position, they got more money, and they got more stuff, and they got more responsibility, and they got more workload, and they got less of God. Because they used to come to Bible study on Wednesday night, now they got to work 12 hours. They used to make it on Sunday morning, but now they're trying to play catch up at home because they worked 70 hours all week, and they got to get stuff done at the house. And their walk with God suffers. I've seen people step down as deacons because they got promotion. I've seen people resign as Sunday school teachers and Bible study teachers because they got promotions. Again, I'm not telling you you should never take one. I'm telling you you should really be careful. If, if you're not content with what you have, the biggest promotion won't make it any better. Because it's in here, guys. And it's never enough if you're chasing the things of the world. It will never be enough. Go talk to Bill Gates. Go talk to Elon Musk and say, do you have enough? If they did, they wouldn't be constantly pursuing more wealth. Right? Tesla just laid off 200 and something workers because they were losing money. Is that hurting him to lose a few bucks until we get through this tough time? No. But it's not enough. It's never enough. Need to make more. Need to keep the profits going into the green. Right? Here's another thing that you may not have thought of. At the judgment of Christ, hospitality will be one of the marks of a true believer. Have you ever thought about that? It says 
that we are to seek in, in the verse that we read from Romans 13, it says we are to seek or pursue hospitality. That's a love for strangers. We ought to love strangers, not just the people we know. We ought to look for opportunities outside of people we don't know. And that's the duty of all the church. In Hebrews 13 too, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because some have entertained angels unaware. Can you imagine that? I've often thought about that. Like, what if, what if we actually have encountered angels during our life and we didn't know it was an angel? Like, that's, to me, that's what the Scripture is saying there. And from every commentary I've read, that's the consensus. Like, there are angels, just like there were in the Old Testament, that are here on earth at times for specific purposes. What if we encountered one of those? What if God sent one into our path to see how we would respond? Let me read that verse again. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For because of this, some have entertained angels unaware. Something to think about. And then at the judgment seat, think about this when we stand before the Lord Jesus. Matthew 25, 34 and 35. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Think about that. This young man's excited about that. See? I wish you all got that excited. I wish that you wanted to come to the altar like that, right? <laughs> And so that gives us an opportunity. If we see, we see just how excited people are. What's up, buddy? Huh? You going to go back to children's church? Oh. You just never know, church. You never know. But listen, at the end of the day, we're blessed to have kids. Sometimes they escape. We try to lock them up in the room back there, but sometimes they break out. We don't do that. We don't do that. But listen, at the end of the day, you've got to understand, kids will be kids. And so we can get upset and say, oh my goodness, they distracted the service and that should never happen. Or you can say, listen, we've all been there. We've all had kids. We all understand that sometimes kids are going to do what we don't want them to do. And we can be thankful for that. So that's a whole other sermon. I won't go there on that one. <laughs> but do understand. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus is saying that one of the evidences of being a true believer is that we are generous to meet the needs of others. Those weren't big deals to us, are they? Does that sound like a big deal? I was hungry and you gave me some food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Like that may not sound like a big deal, but that's what Jesus is judging us by. We went down to East Avenue last Sunday and gave folks a plate of food. I don't know how many came through that line, but there were a lot. There were a lot. And to see these folks and just the situation that they were in, and I don't know every one of their stories, but I'm certain that there was, you know, a lot of addiction. I'm certain that there was a lot of mental health issues. I'm certain that there was a lot of homelessness and prostitution and all of those things. And yet we had an opportunity to go 
and feed them with physical food, but also to tell them about Jesus Christ. Also to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Listen, guys, there are some people on earth that are never going to come in this building. You, you can invite people to church all your life, and you should. But there are certain people that will never come to church. So what do we do with them? We go to them. We go. The Great Commission is go. The Great Commission is not invite people to church. It's not tell them to come to you. It's us going to them. We have got to go. And part of being hospitable is that we have a heart for that kind of thing. If you want to be an evangelist, if you want to go out and help people, you've got to have a heart for that. You've got to have a heart for people. If you don't care about people, you're not going to care to give up your Saturday or Sunday or any time to go out and worry about them. You say, well, there's plenty of ministries, there's plenty of missions, let somebody else do it. What if God has a work for you? What if you are the one that may be able to reach that person? You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never get that blessing if you don't try. There's a funny little story that I found. It says a father gave his little girl $2 and said, you can do anything you want with one of the dollars, but the other dollar belongs to God. It says with joy, she ran to the candy store. And on the way, she tripped, and one of the dollars fell down into the storm drain. She got up, brushed herself off, and said, Well, Lord, there went your dollar. And that's often true. That's often how we think of things, right? If we had half and half, and something happened to one, buddy, that was God's. I'm keeping mine, you know. And that's that idea that we can all at times be a little bit greedy. We have got to guard our hearts against that. Billy Graham said, Give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I can tell them exactly where their heart is. You know, those are, those are searching words, prodding words. And again, I'm not standing here today to guilt you. I'm myself included asking, how are we doing in that area? How is our generosity? Not just financially, but with every opportunity in life. Are we giving back? Are we looking at Jesus Christ as our example? I want to come full circle back to that idea. Jesus has been so generous to us. He has given us everything. He has provided a way for us to have our sins forgiven and have eternal life. Can you imagine, we can imagine, I should say, what heaven is going to look like? The Bible says, Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, so that where I am there you may also be. I can't imagine what heaven is going to look like. But I do know that Jesus will be there, and that makes it sweet. I do know that my loved ones will be there, and that makes it sweet. I do know that He has prepared a place just for me because He promised He would. And that makes it really sweet. I'm thankful today that Jesus loved me even though I didn't deserve it. That Jesus would give Himself for me even though I was so unworthy. And I want you to understand today that if you're lost, you don't deserve it, you can't earn it, and there's nothing you could do that would merit it. But Jesus says today, Come unto Me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you are tired of struggling in this world, if you are tired of your sin, if you are tired of the battle that you face on a daily basis, would you turn from that today and turn to Jesus Christ? And say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Lord, change me. I want what Pastor has been preaching about. I want to have a new heart. I want to have a new life. I want to have a purpose for living. And I, most of all, I want to have a secure assurance and a hope when I die. 
I want to know where I'm going. If you will ask Him in your life today, He's promised to save you. So I'm going to invite Phyllis and Tiffany to come, and we're going to close with that thought. And as we give this invitation today, I just want you to consider what the Spirit is saying to you. Is this an area of your life where you need to work on? Allow God to change your heart, to transform your mind, guys. Only He can do it. Only He can enable you to live the life that we've been talking about. It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. It's surrender. It's about surrender. Will you surrender your life today in all areas to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that You have given us so many things, that everything we have is Yours. And You allow us to be stewards of that, Lord. You allow us to be stewards not just of material things, but of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That we get an opportunity to take the precious gift that You have given us and to share it with others. Lord, how are we doing with that? Help us to be better with that. Help us to be generous. Help us to love one another so much that we willingly look for opportunities to help one another. And Lord, when those needs come up, may we do our best as individuals and as a church to meet those needs just as you met the needs that we had in Christ Jesus. We give you the thanks today in that name above all names. Amen. As we stand and sing this morning, the altar is open. You need to come.